Uh, so I will, you know, I think as I said in the last episode, um, we're recording this on uh, March 15th, 2020, which is right after kind of the coronavirus uh, dangers kind of became real for a lot of people. Um, and I I think like like a day or two after Trump's speech, I like looked at what episodes we were supposed to watch for our current record, and I saw that this one was coming up, and I didn't remember what it was about, but it's called Contagion. Called Contagion. And I, was, I did think to myself, oh, is this going to be a bummer? Because I, I've seen a bunch of people who are, like, talking about how they're watching, like, the movie Cont- Contagion or, like, the, the show, like, the, I think it's a show called Pandemic on, on Netflix. And- yeah. Lisa and I were saying we need to, we, we should play the, the Pandemic board game this weekend. Yeah. Well, I have a group that I that I play. Uh, you play Legacy, the, don't you? Yeah, we're playing Panic Legacy Season 2. So I think we're supposed to meet sometime later on this month. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure if that will happen. Are there now more than six of you? Social, social isolating. Uh, no, there's only... It's a, it's only a four-player game. So. Okay. Um, and one of the other people is my wife. But um, we'll see what happens. But I don't really understand that impulse to, like, <laughs> to... <laughs> Something bad's happening. Well, what? Like, like, I don't know. If World War Three happened, I don't think I would immediately be like, hmm, Axis and Allies, let's do yeah, it. Let's, you know what I mean? Let's, like, let's go watch Red Dawn. Right. But uh, that's not what this episode is about. It might have been more interesting if it was about that. Uh, yeah, but no, not at all. I don't. This is another one I feel like where I don't know that there's any way we could have predicted what the episode is actually about based on the title. Yeah, you're you're correct. Hi, and welcome to Out of Contracts, the show where two guys who have seen part of Star Trek try to watch all of it in no particular order. I'm Ryan Howard. And I'm Brady Jungle. And on this episode, we are talking about uh, Star Trek uh, Next Generation Season 2, Episode 11, called Contagion. Uh, this episode was directed by Joseph uh, Scanlon, and it was written by Beth Woods and Steve Gerber, um, who I just wanted to point out um, for the anyone who's a Marvel Comics nerd out there. That is, I did look it up, that is the same Steve Gerber who uh, wrote on a bunch of Marvel books in the 70s, I believe. Really. Uh, most, most notable for creating uh, Howard the Duck. Oh. So this is the only episode that he uh, wrote for in any star trek show so i'm not really sure like what was going on there but yeah just a weird little bit of trivia about that but uh yeah steve gerber of howard the duck and other comics fame was the writer one of the writers of this episode uh, along with beth woods uh beth woods i'm I'm, now i'm just curious to see if beth woods wrote anything else nope (laughs) so these two just kind of came in and did this one and then uh Woods also also contributed an original storyline to the third season episode, A Sins of the Father. So apparently Beth Woods did a little bit more uh, on, okay. the, on the show besides this. But anyway, that's just kind of an odd little yeah. uh, thing. But So the, the description of this episode on Memory Alpha is, The Enterprise and a Romulan warbird are attacked by the same computer virus that has already destroyed one Federation starship of the same class as the Enterprise. That is a long sentence with no punctuation in it. And also describes the first, like, 12 minutes of the episode, maybe. Well, no, I mean, like, it's the... What else happens in this episode besides them just trying to deal with that virus? Like, Like, that's... Go and deal with the virus, I guess, yeah. 
I, I mean, we've kind of just already stumbled on it, but this is like a very classic, like early TNG episode of kind of like 30 minutes of story in like a 45 minute package kind of, um, I, I would say, yeah, I, I don't think this is a bad idea for a story, but like I was ready for it to be over by the time that it uh, ends. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so yeah, why don't you take us, take us in? Uh, I think this should be uh, not a terribly long pot summary. So Yeah, probably not. So it starts out with um, the Enterprise is meeting uh, in the neutral zone, which is this area of space along the border between, I guess, between the Federation space and and space that's controlled by the Romulans, and they're neither of them were supposed to be in there, right? Neither of the it's yeah, this kind of, of like the... demilitarized. You know, the the Federation Romulans are not at war with each other, but they're not friendly with each other either. And so there's this area of space between the two of them that neither one of them are supposed to have ships in, and they're going into the neutral zone to meet with the Yamato, which is another galaxy class ship which is the same class as the enterprise and which is uh commanded by captain what's his name again it's like leonard or something captain donald varley oh not leonard okay and so they they go to meet with the motto because um they were investigating something in the neutral zone and then started having all these problems with their ship and they kind of keep having these systems failures and mechanical issues. And while they're while they're talking with them, suddenly, like this disaster happens, and and the Yamato completely explodes and is destroyed. In a kind of like cool looking, yeah, it's it's effects well for, for 1989, very well done. Ship explosion, like the saucer comes like flying towards them, and and like disintegrates. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so the Yamato is completely destroyed. And then right after that, a, a Romulan ship sort of decloaks uh, because the Romulans have cloaking technology and their ships can be invisible. But this is something that is kind of... Because the Romulans, and I believe the Klingons also have this technology at various points in Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of one of those things that's established throughout Star Trek kind of canon except when they need an exception is that ships can't fire their weapons while they're cloaked like they have to decloak and become visible before they can fire their weapons so you can't be like a complete sneak attack yeah this episode had a lot of like that kind of like reminding you of the rules of how starships work in in star trek because there there's 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 also like a crucial episode of you also can't you can't like beam people up and down from a ship when the ship's shields are up, is it? Yeah, and the reason that's important is because there's this suspicion that well, did the Romulans like attack and destroy the Yamato? Mostly by Worf, because Worf is very much in that stage in the Next Generation where his main role is to just assume that this whatever's going on is something that they need to fight. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Worf with his, uh, yeah, I know. I was, I was a, l- a little perturbed to watch this episode and see their original outfits and also Worf's like weird little like short haircut. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and so, but the answer to that is that no, they couldn't have attacked them because they were cloaked the whole time. And so there's this tense exchange between 
the the Enterprise and and the the Romulan ship, where they're both very suspicious of each other, and the Enterprise, you know, and Picard basically says, "We're not leaving until we know for sure that the Romulans weren't responsible for destroying the Yamato." And then he they uh, before the Yamato was destroyed, they uh, had transmitted over kind of their their ship's records and. Picard starts reviewing those and going through the captain's logs of uh, of Captain Varley and finds out that the reason they were here in this area of space is that they had found some, I think they had found an artifact or a probe or something, but they had found something that led them to believe that this was where this kind of ancient planet of legend called Iconia was, which I, I don't know do they, the Iconians come up? Because I feel like it's something I've heard. And I don't know if it's just from this episode or from I'm something looking. else. But they're thought to be this this kind of ancient, technologically advanced race um, that potentially would have superior technology that either if the Federation or the Romulans got their hands on it could really give them an advantage on the other one. And so it's not even as much that they're trying to get that technology as they are very concerned that they have to keep the Romulans from getting that technology or else the Romulans would use it and conquer everyone, basically. Yeah. I, I was just looking. The, the Iconians are mentioned, like, periodically after this. This is, this is their first appearance on, the sh- on like, in, in Star Trek. Okay. And so, and then... As he further goes through the records, they find out that there was a a probe from Iconia that came and and scanned the Amato, and in doing so, transmitted a computer program onto it. It's worth noting that we never ever find out why that happens. The we we never find out why the probe, like why the probe is sent out, and then why it its response is to try to overwrite itself onto the, onto like an other ship. Yeah. And I, I never explained this. Yeah. And it was tough to tell as they kind of explain it. Cause essentially what happens is that there's a computer program from the probe that starts, like you said, trying to overwrite the systems and the programs of, of the ship's computers. And that causes all these errors and is what causes all these systems to fail. And it's, you know, the lights go on and off, the communicators don't work, the shields come and go, and then eventually leads to the, at least in the Yamato, that the, the warp core, the engines, set off this chain reaction that made the whole thing explode. And so these sorts of things are starting to happen now on the Enterprise, and so they worried that if they can't figure out how to stop it, the Enterprise is also going to be destroyed. You're leaving out the, the probably the two best things that the virus does, which are... Uh, when Picard <laughs> asks for the replicator to make him some tea, it yeah. makes him a uh, flower. Yes, that's my. And then um, when Jordy gets in the uh, the the turbo lift or whatever it's called. Yeah. I think it was meant to be implied there, although I'm not certain because it's not a very like super well conveyed scene. But I think the the what's meant to be implied there is that the artificial gravity in the lift like starts to screw up, and so yeah. He starts like flying all around inside of the, the kind of like a very janky version of like the, the scene from Inception where he's fighting in that hallway. Yeah, I was thinking of the, uh, 
Billie Eilish music video from Saturday Night Live. Oh, from SNL, but, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. It's like, yeah. But yeah, he does like this. And, and you could tell LeVar Burton, I think, had a lot of fun. That, that is the one thing. I feel like everyone seemed like they were having a lot of fun in this episode. Sure. Yeah, that's that's fair. Because yeah, LeVar Burton got to be like thrown all around the, the turbo lift. It was like on the ceiling, like pinned up against the wall. And then when it finally comes to the bridge, he just goes like he flies flying out, out yeah. of it. And and Picard does this nice little, welcome to the bridge, Mr. LaForge. Um, yeah. Um, and then I think like a couple scenes later, he does another thing where he gets to go flying across a room too. I think he gets like electrocuted by a computer panel or something. Oh yeah. He like, yeah, he like gets electrocuted by a computer panel and then like, he like arches his back and kind of like stands up on his tiptoes and then like jumps back onto the floor. And then he's like temporarily paralyzed. And he does this like comedy bit with data where he's like talking to data, but he can't move. His like like, face is like stuck on the floor. Yeah. Yeah. Him and data, I feel especially like seem to have a lot of fun with this one. Yeah, that, the bit with Data at the end when he's, like, broken is probably probably my favorite part of the episode, where Data is, like, trying, where Brent Spiner gets to act like, like a more primitive robot for a little while. Yeah. That's probably my favorite part of the episode, but... Yeah. And, yeah, and so they, essentially, they find out that, uh, that Iconia is where all these things are coming from, and so Picard and Data and Worf beam down to the planet and start exploring and they find this control room which is where the pr- these probes are coming from and then data starts going through the computer system and finds essentially finds out sort of what's going on with this program but then the program starts taking over his his systems as well you know his programming starts getting rewritten by this iconian program and yeah and i i don't know i think what they were trying to do with it is that it's not like a malicious thing at all you know at first they they think it's an attack but i think what what they were trying to go with was that you know it's just this kind of what this computer program naturally you know it's trying to fix errors or discrepancies and so that's why it's overriding these other Mm -hmm. systems Mm -hmm. that they're just such you know they're such different systems that they they just don't know how to interact that it's not like it was trying to like attack the ship or whatever, but just yeah, kind of a. I guess that's true. I guess that is an explanation. Um, so yeah, so Data gets like taken over by this program and can can't move. He can just kind of like nod and shake his head and like say a few words at a time. And so then he's trying to communicate with Picard like what to do to destroy the Iconian Center. And yeah, like you said, this is this is the part you're talking about where he's just kind of saying like one word at a time and kind of jerking his head back and forth and i do like how he still ends every sentence with captain like he's still very respectful through all of it he's like yes captain or no captain but um and in this room they also find sort of what the real the real kind of most advanced technology the iconians have is they have these this gateway and it's kind of this big square that opens up that will flash images of of different locations and it's different presumably different like nearby planets and then it'll show the Romulan ship and then it'll show the Enterprise. And they determine that it's a it's like a teleporter, a portal where you can step through it and you'll end up on that place. It's a it's a Russian roulette teleporter because it keeps yeah. on switching. It just spins around. But it's on like a set cycle though, isn't it? I think they say that like the Enterprise shows up every four minutes. Four or minutes, like yeah. That. Very convenient for the for their purposes because yes. they they can't get back because they're 
the communications between the them and the ship have broken down, and also because the ship has its shields up, so they can't yes. get beamed back. So this this would this would allow them if they walk through it, it would allow them to get back onto the Enterprise. Yeah. So Picard sends Worf and Data through the portal to go back onto the Enterprise because he says that Geordi has to sort of examine Data and figure out you know what happened to his system because then they can use that to figure out how to how to save the Enterprise, how to stop this computer program from taking over. But he has to destroy, he has to key in these codes on the... On the, on, on the Simon terminal that's... that's, that's <laughs> blue, blue, blue. Yeah. Red, yellow, blue. Yeah, that, that apparently has just three very big colored keys that are how you control things like the launching the probes or closing the launched bay doors. And that that part I did, not specifically the like color coded keys, but there's a there's a interesting uh, part before orb? that. What's that? Oh, I thought you were talking about the orb. In the oh no, the... there there is a a very Star Trekky orb. But no, there's a part before that where they're trying because they can't interpret what any of the signs on this computer are, and then they figure out that it's related to. Uh, you know, the languages of different, various different planets around. And so they realized that, uh, that these planets, you know, were culturally influenced by the Iconians very early in their history. And that's why these languages all kind of branched out from them. And so they try to kind of reverse engineer that to figure out what the Iconian language is. And so Data looks at one of these things and, you know, he's like, I used various, uh, you know, common words like home and planet and earth and water and air and he and she and he starts rattling off this list and Picard kind of shuts him up. Yeah, that, that was a very common joke on early on early TNG is like what if Data doesn't realize and people are tired of hearing him speak? Yeah. And then he looks at a thing and he's like, you know, this button should be manual override and he presses it and that I think I think that's what opens up the the, the portal, portal, yeah. Right? Yeah. And he looks at it and he's like that was not manual override. All the stuff in that room, I think, is ultimately more interesting, like more fun to me than the rest of the show. Like, like that had a very like. This reminded me, uh, like the the room that they're in with like the the Simon keyboard and the the portal and like just like this weird little room with like this this orb that is like a cool orb with a glowing ball in the middle of it, but also kind of looks like there's like stuff on there's some black stuff on the outside that kind of looks like it's like electrical tape, like. <laughs> The, it reminded me of like a it's a very uh, original series uh, setup, which is not super surprising because Roddenberry was still alive and I think still contributing to the show at this point. Um, but I, I'm just I just found it. There's a room like this in the infamous season three uh, original series episode Spock's Brain, okay. where Spock's brain is stolen, and like for some reason it just really immediately it took me back to this room because it's. Um, Original series, it's much more colorful than than mm-hmm. anything in like especially early TNG. But there is like this, there's like this weird like room, and there's like a big kind of center terminal with a with a giant orb on the top of it that it reminded me of. So it's a very it's a very like original series looking setup, which is kind of charming. Yeah, I would say an early next generation, like especially the first season, but I guess some into the second, like still very much has a similar vibe to to the original series more than than later Star Trek does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- this this is an episode that you can definitely see the ties to to the original Star Trek, where they're orbiting a planet, and 
they go to this little, you know, set on the planet and there's this interaction of technology in that. And yeah, and kind of the, the aesthetic of, of that room especially, I, I agree with you, is, feels like something from, from original Star Trek. And, and, and yeah, and I, I also, but, but I also just thought the, that like, the kind of linguistics of that was, was kind of interesting. That idea of like, you know, these languages having a common ancestor that, and trying to back calculate to what that was. And yeah, that, that was some cool. fun little comedy too. So, um, but yeah, and so Worf and Data get back to the ship and essentially Jordy figures out from, I think Data automatically does this and Jordy kind of figures out what he did that basically he does like a hard reboot that data like completely shuts down and starts back up that and Jordy's like well we could just do that to the ship too that you know apparently the the Windows 95 solution right uh, that's what I was that's I think one of the weaknesses of this episode which I, I think maybe it wasn't seen this way at the time but like it's very funny to me now that the solution is to basically do like what every IT yes, person like, 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 whatever you call like you. tech support for your computer. They're like, well, did you try like unplugging it? You know, like, yeah, just, <laughs> just completely turn it off and then turn it back on. Yeah. Um, and yeah, yeah, that's, that's the answer that Jordy could not come up with until 45 minutes into the episode. Also, like when Data does this, he appears to be dead. Yeah. To be like entirely died. non-functional. So then they do that to the ship, and I did think to myself, so is everyone just holding their breath right now? Yeah. You can't really, like, like how can you turn completely turn off the spaceship? I guess if you're only doing it barely at all, like, I guess there's there's still, like, ambient, like, temperature and, and like, oxygen that was already being pumped into the ship at the time, I suppose. But, like, yeah, maybe. I was like, how does that work? Like, like, did they all just suddenly, like... Was there no gravity for a second? Did everyone just kind of like float up into the sky for a second and then like come back down? You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. uh, I wasn't really quite sure like what that entailed. Like, if you turn off the Enterprise and then turn it back on, like, what does that right. mean? That also, if they're in orbit around a planet, wouldn't it just like fall out of space? Right. Yeah. If you don't have any propulsion. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it, very conveniently, that scene is uh, you. It's shot from the exterior of the Enterprise, so you don't have to yeah, see what happens. Yeah, the lights on the go off and of the lights come back on. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then very briefly, uh, so Picard destroys the the Iconian like chamber and has to get out before it explodes. And I guess didn't time it correctly, so it doesn't have time to get like wait for the cycle to come back around to the Enterprise. And so he has to jump through the portal when it's going to the Romulan ship. And so he appears on the Romulan ship, and they're, like, about to arrest him, and then the Enterprise, like, beams him back on aboard. And P- Picard is just ready to let them fry, too, which I thought was kind of like a yeah, weird Yeah, he's level. like, let's get out of here. And then it's Riker that basically says, like, well, we should tell them... Because the, the Romulan ship is also is having the same systems failures and is about to self-destruct. Mm-hmm. And so Riker's the one who's like, well, we should probably tell them that all they have to do is turn the ship off and turn it back on and in fairness to picard he uh he didn't know that they had figured out a way to fix the problem but <laughs> i guess that's true <laughs> but like it was it just it did seem like kind of callous there's like no thought of like could we beam them onto our ship or you know what yeah. i mean like it was just kind of like let's leave quick yeah. you know um, <laughs> cheese it 
But yeah, Riker, Riker does have a little bit of like kind of nice stuff in this where he's because he has to be captain while Picard is down. And um, so he he's the one who kind of saves the Romulan ship in the first place, because basically like the probe, if the probe was actually allowed to scan, scan you, then it, the process occurs much faster. Yeah, because it transmits more of the system. He tells the Romulans to shoot down the probe, and then he helps the Romulans at the end. So he he has some like nice stuff in this too. Yeah, and and yeah, and he has the other thing we can talk about is sort of what all the other because they do sort of the Star Trek thing where there's you know this episode is mostly Picard and Data and then like Jordy and Worf are participating in this whole part of it, but but all the other characters sort of have their little scenes or have things to do, and so yeah, Riker is commanding the ship and talks with uh, with Counselor Troy a few times of kind of how do you... Everyone on the ship is very, like, worried and nervous that we're going to die, and they, you know, just went through the trauma of watching the other ship explode. And yeah. and she tells him, you know, the, the main thing to do is to keep them occupied and keep them busy. And so he's, she says, you know, have everyone prepare, like, go through the process of preparing to evacuate the ship, even though that's not really an option. Just mm-hmm. to to give them like some purpose and something to do. Um, there was also, I thought, a real good scene, and it's the it's the same scene where Picard gets his uh, his flower pot, his, his flower pot, which is apparently now that I'm looking through the through the memory alpha, apparently this is the first appearance of T. Earl Grey Hot oh. uh, in the series. It's the first time Picard asks the replicator for for T. Earl Grey Hot. Um, mm. And he does not get it. That's that's funny that it's the first time. Yeah, but and there's a scene, and it's it's very brief, but but Wesley Crusher comes into Picard's quarters to talk to him, and and part of the reason for this is to kind of use him for exposition to like explain who the Iconians were. Um, but he also talks about how you know kind of the trauma of watching you know an entire ship of uh, full of people just explode and all those people die and he's Wesley's like how do you like you and commander Riker deal with that or like move on without it really affecting you and again Picard kind of just starts to answer that before they do this little lighthearted thing with the tea but he basically says that you know you you're trained to to move on and keep doing your job but it still it still does affect you and it still is important to you and he says something along the lines of like if you ever lose that then that's that's a problem mm-hmm. it reminds me of um like something that my professor told me in journalism school which is basically that like when you are working at a newspaper especially like depending on what beach you're covering or what kind of communities you're in that you have to cover bad things and he's kind of like saying you know it's important to not lose your humanity in so doing like if you ever like find yourself if you hear like a call go out in the scanner that says there's a house fire mm-hmm. it is kind of like weirdly easy to and i i can attest to this like it is it's easy to think to yourself oh i hope it's a big one not because you are wishing ill on anyone but just because like that's a more interesting story. Like you get better pictures and you know, it's something that you can write about for a while because like in as much as you want everyone to, to be well, like sometimes your job is more interesting when things go wrong because it's interesting. People are more interested to like read about it or, or what have you. So it reminded me of that a little bit. Obviously, you know, it's not 
but you know basically like the importance of like you know you you can't find yourself wanting bad things to happen uh but this is not quite the same because like obviously you don't want that to happen but he's kind of saying like you know in this job like you see things like that and, and you have to, like, to yeah move on and and keep functioning but also not let it not become callous to it yeah um and so that i thought was a a nice little thing that they touch on uh that scene also i feel does raise the recurring question of why does wesley wear such weird clothes all the time why why does he wear have a pajama uniform yeah especially because like he is a like he's a member of starf like he's an ensign he's a member on the ship yeah um so like why is he the one person that just wears these weird he's not wearing the like sweaters that he sometimes wears but he still has this weird yeah like gray pajama uniform he and troy like belong to like some special like starfleet (laughs) club where they get like alternate uniform apparently yeah um the only other thing i had is that we also get a I wanted to mention, I think this is, is this our first uh, appearance of Dr. Pulaski that we've had? I wasn't, I couldn't remember. Let's just look, I look through the archives here, because uh, Dr. Pulaski replaces Dr. Crusher in season two only, and then yeah. uh, and then Gates McFadden comes back uh, in the following uh, season, but um, I'm just scrolling through yeah. our archives. I think, it, I think it might be, though. I think and it might she's be. a, uh, again, for people who haven't watch next generation she she's the doctor of the ship and she is very much this like she's older and she's very traditional and kind of suspicious of technology and sort of plays that character that role um you know you can tell she's much more trying to channel a like bones mccoy type of vibe in the doctor role yeah she doesn't like transporting just they don't talk about this in this episode but just like she doesn't like transporters like he doesn't and She's kind of racist to Data in the same way that the Bones is kind of racist to Spock. Spock and yeah, it's yeah, you're right. It's very, it's very much like we've talked about this before. Like that, they they have these archetypes that they keep on trying to go back to. And she is, you're right. She is very much like the Bones archetype. Yeah, um, but she has, and and she only has, I think, one scene in this. But there's a scene where everything's not working on the ship, and she's in sick bay trying to take care of people. And you know one. That of was her, a funny scene. I liked that. Scene. I thought she that did was... a good job with it. Yeah, because one of her presumably went like one of the staff in the in sick bay comes up to her and she's and he's like, you know, none of the medical beds are like this guy has a broken leg and our you know tissue regenerator or knitter uh, isn't working. What do I do? And she tries to describe to him like how to put a cast on it or a splint. She said, yeah, big a splint. And he's like, a splint? What is what is yeah. that? <laughs> She's like this, you know, like ancient medical technique where you take two pieces of wood and wrap a bandage around it. <laughs> She's like, and the guy's like, you, you're, you're crazy. Yeah, he gives like, her this like, look like, what are you talking about? Like, Yeah, and so that's a fun scene where like she gets to, you know, describe what is like medicine that's still being practiced today is these like incredibly archaic, like why would anyone do something so insane? Yeah. You know, that she was, like, practicing medicine without having all the magic technology of the future. Mm-hmm. I liked that that bit. That was a funny joke. Um, yeah, the only thing that I wanted to just touch on is that I think that this was not, like, my favorite episode. I kind of felt like it was a little long for what it was. I feel like there's a lot of, like, not that I even think this is a bad idea in concept, but, like, I think if you're going to have something like this where it's like there's a problem on the ship 
like and then you just kind of deal with that for a while without knowing how to fix it like you can do that but you got to make it interesting and you have to kind of make it like escalating and stuff and i didn't necessarily feel like i was engaged with that like the entire time that they wanted me to be you know <laughs> um but i think that this episode doesn't also have necessarily like a really strong through line in terms of like the theme but there's a couple of like little parts like the crusher scene where they have like a kind of a smaller message that they're talking about and i did i did like that when they when they go down to the planet and they kind of are figuring out like this is what the iconians were up to and and they sort of like posit that maybe the iconians were not this warlike race maybe they were like a peaceful race that could transport and that's how they got around and so and and I think Worf says something about how they're, you know, well, they were called like demons who came through the air or whatever. And mm-hmm. and then Picard says like, well, they were conquered. And so to justify like their behavior, their conquerors could have very well like portrayed them as. Yeah, these as like uh, terrible war criminals. Yeah. yeah, because that makes them look OK. It makes them feel better about like conquering these people. And I, I, I liked, I liked that. I liked the idea that like these were like these mythical, these mythical like warlords almost that people they're legendary. And then like the idea that they were just kind of like just some people who happened to have a cool technology, but because yeah. they lost the the you know they lost their war, like they've been portrayed this other way. Um, it yeah. reminded me of uh, have we ever talked about the Mark Russell Flintstones comic on this uh, on this podcast? I don't think we have no. Have, have I talked to you about this? I don't like, know. Outside of yeah, the podcast? No, I'm not sure what you're talking about here. Okay, so um, there is a comics writer named Mark Russell, who's like one of my favorite guys working right now in comics. Um, and a few years ago, um, DC Comics, which is owned by Warners, um, who uh, you know I believe also owns the Hanna Barbera license. Um, DC Comics like had like launched like a new line of Hanna Barbera comics that had with like twists on all of like the old formulas. And I remember at the time, like thinking it sounded like a really bad idea. Like they had like this book called like Scooby apocalypse. That was like Scooby-Doo and like a post apocalyptic future. And, um, they had like this future quest thing, which was like Johnny quest plus space ghost, plus a bunch of other things. And that was actually, I never read that, but I heard that was good. It was drawn, drawn by a really good artist, but the couple of they had like a wacky racers comic and stuff that was like again like kind of like a mad max style wacky races which is like you know okay. a weird a weird thing but but then um one of the comics though was the flintstones which was uh, written by mark russell and steve Pugh. and in all of like the pre-press for this comic mark russell would give these interviews where he was saying that like i got asked by the editor of dc at the time to do this because like he was kind of known at that time and in as much as he was known at all he was known for like kind of doing like this kind of sh- sharp kind of social satire stuff okay. and he was saying like i hate the flintstones like i don't i think it's not funny and i think it's like kind of backwards like gender stuff and it's really hacky and stupid and the editor was like well that's fine like just do what you want to do with it and he kind of was like well you know at the time that was like a riff on the honeymooners and it was supposed to like kind of it was not it was not for kids it was for adults it was like an adult cartoon to like talk about like modern life and so he was like well i'm just gonna take that idea and like update it and i'm gonna have it be about like modern life 
now, like still okay. had it, you know, and that's maybe a long explanation other than to say that like, it's like legit, probably my favorite comic of like the last 10 years. And you should definitely check it out if you're interested in that kind of thing at all. It's really, really good and funny. And there's only like 12 issues of it. But um, it reminds me of, though, of, I think probably my favorite like bit in the comic, which is. So I don't know how much you like are familiar with or remember anything about the Flintstones, but you know how like they're in like that, the order of the water buffalo, where it's kind of like a, like a yeah, sort of like a Freemason Eagles Lodge type thing, and they wear like those hats with like the horns on them. I vaguely remember that like that's a thing, yeah. Yeah. So so in in the comic, it basically he changes it into like kind of like a VFW style organization where it's for people who were veterans of this war that uh, was carried out against the tree people. And the, the tree people are kind of like a different race of uh, cavemen. Mm. Um, so the, the, the race of cavemen that is like kind of the, the dominant people who are living in bedrock at the time are told by their leaders that like the tree people are out there and they're coming to get us and they're, you know, savages. And, and so we need to kind of like preemptively attack them before they can get to us. And then okay, yeah. the hug out there and the tree people basically, it turns out are unarmed. And, but so all of the people from bedrock just like kill them and they basically like slaughter <laughs> them. There's like a, again, like a very famous panel panel from this where like, uh, Fred Flintstone says to Barney, "We committed genocide, Barney," which is like, like a truly wild thing to see in a Flintstones comic, and yeah. it's un- unbelievable that Hammerbury let them do this. But <laughs> anyway, though they, even though like the people who were in the war kind of know what they did, if they're being honest with themselves, like they're still portrayed like in kind of the history books of Bedrock as being these heroic people who kind of like saved us from these, these aggressors, these tree people, and then like an issue or two later. You're following Pebbles as she's in school, and like there's the shot of the outside of her school, and there's a sign that says like you know Bedrock whatever school, mm-hmm. and then it says underneath Home of the Fighting Tree People, and and like it is <laughs> it's like oh wow man like it's so it's so good and like funny but also like awful and like and, and yeah, it's, it is it's like pretty, that this thing of like it's pretty biting, and it's not even it's not like called attention to in the comic either. It's just kind of like you see it or don't see it, but like. Because this other this other uh, civilization like beat this other one, they can recast them in like whatever kind of image they want to recast them in. Yeah, and uh, I think that's like a really kind of not that necessarily this episode was saying anything really profound about that, but like I just think that's such a powerful and true like concept that I'm glad to see it being addressed. I guess, but yeah, I don't know. Just a uh, interesting like that they take it out into this very like galactic level where like it does become this thing where it worked so well for whatever race uh conquered them that not only is that race that conquered them not remember anymore it's just like the universe knows about the iconians as these like yeah. scary monster people you know and yeah uh, that's true yeah i don't know just i i, I, I liked that part of it yeah i think to kind of overall I guess some of this episode, I think it is, they, they do touch on a lot of interesting things like that. Um, I don't know that any of those things are what you could say the episode was about. You know, there's some episodes of Star Trek that are very clearly, like this episode was made to make a commentary about this specific thing. Um, and I don't think this was one of those. This was just kind of like a story. And then they threw these other things, you know, it, they touch on interesting issues and dedicate like a conversation to them. But and I'd also say it seemed like an episode where everyone had a lot of fun making it. And, you know, I think it's, it's a thing that happens frequently in the next generation, especially where 
the episodes are very much carried by the talent of the people in yeah. them. Um, you know, Patrick Stewart and Brent Spiner and LeVar Burton and Michael Dorn and Jonathan Frakes and, you know, all these people, like, they just have, you know, they're having fun and they just do such a good job with, with what they're given that it's it's fun to watch, even if it's not necessarily the, like, deepest or most profound uh, thing in the world. Yeah, I, I definitely have found for the show, you know, we've watched, this is the first season two episode we've watched, but we watched, if, uh, I think, a couple, two or three season one episodes at this point. And I, I really did not enjoy very much of season one or two when I watched the show for the first time. And I have definitely found that I've kind of like, at, on a base level, even if the episodes we've watched are not great, and I would say that like, especially like this one and the Arsenal Freedom are not like great early episodes of Star Trek. Like, I think I'm still enjoying them more this time than the first time I watched them yeah. because I do like these characters and I, I, I know who they are now and I I just kind of enjoy seeing them. It, and I do I feel that way kind of about the entire show is that like the characters are so good that that kind of gets you yeah. through when like the yeah, plots are Yeah, I think that's definitely kind of what carries a lot of the next generation. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I think that's it. Um, well, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we will be back in two weeks. Um, uh, in between then, you can find us uh, on Twitter at contracts. You can email us at outofcontracts at gmail.com. You can go on our website, which is outofcontracts.podbean.com. Contracts is spelled C-O-N-T-R-E-K-S. You know, feel free to, to get in touch with us. Uh, you can find us, our podcast, basically anywhere where you can listen to podcasts. Not sure about Spotify, I guess, but I, most places you can get us. Um, we, if you know, we're also part of the uh, Kaleidoscope Media uh, Network. Um, so if you are interested uh, in like horror, you can check out Here's Johnny, the Here's Johnny podcast. If you're interested in like pop culture and how that interacts with like science, you can go to That's Not How Science Works uh, to talk about. They talk about like stuff like the Flash or Lost in Space and how actually tied to real science or not tied to real science that stuff is. Uh, you can you can go to and, and listen to uh, he, uh, Wizard Studies, which is about um, Harry Potter. So those are all a good podcast for you to check out. Um, in two weeks, we will be back with a Voyager episode. A, we were we were back with um, it's called Repentance, and it is a late period Voyager. It's Voyager season seven, episode thirteen. Um, so we'll be back in two weeks to talk about that. Um, so feel free to watch that if you'd like, and we'll see you then. Thanks everybody. Yeah. Thanks. Bye.